Pastor Joe at the beginning of the week was uh, in BlackRock doing a personal retreat where he was able to, to pray and really study scriptures and just allow the word of God to rain down over his soul and really receive guidance from the Lord on where, uh, what, what next sermon series we should walk through and what book of the Bible we should walk through next. And so praise God that we've been, we've been super thankful to send him and send him to do that. Uh, just a little updates on my end. Um, I do a lot of the youth stuff, and praise God for this, on October 7th. Everybody say October 7th. October 7th, we are going to have our first official teenage youth night. Everybody clap it up for that. That's going to be a great time, all right? So we're going to be launching that for our 13 to 18, 19-year-olds, and part of what we want to do there is just as we've been praying for the people and the homeowners of Gloucester City right now and reaching out to all of you guys, we want to reach the future generation of Gloucester City, right? Because I know that uh, when Emily turns 19, 20, 21 years old, she's going to be in a position where she's coming and she's sitting consistently in the pews and she's going to be in a position of leadership among her peers. Amen for that? Amen. And so, uh, yeah, we just want to be a further extension. We just want our youth ministry to be a further extension of what Christ is doing in town already. Needless to say, we've been super, super busy with all of the stuff going on. We did a clothing drive last Saturday. We've been doing Kids Club every single Saturday of the month now, and we've been getting uh, a bunch of kids out, and it's been a blast providing meals, preaching the gospel to them. And so finally... If you'll allow me to tell a little bit of a story, I got a little bit of a break a couple Fridays ago, and it was Friday, and we had nothing to do. We were hanging out, and it was 5 o'clock, and I felt a rumbling in my stomach, and I was hungry, and I opened up the fridge, and alone and behold, we hadn't gone grocery shopping. Anybody ever been there? Yeah. We didn't go grocery shopping, and so I said to my wife, Taylor, in the back, I said, Taylor, uh... Either we go to ShopRite right now and buy groceries and we don't get dinner on the table until 8 o'clock or we go out to eat. And so both of us are like, oh, man, we're going out to eat. Like, this is a great opportunity. So we make a choice. We have a hankering for uh, a good, authentic Mexican restaurant. And we're like, you know, if we're going to go out, we're going to do it right. It's going to be really nice. And we decided on Don Pablo's in Deptford, okay? And for those of you that like Don Pablo's, I'm really sorry but we had not so great of an experience because what happened was we get in the car, we get there at Don Pablo's at 6.15, and we get out of the car, and it looks great. It looks all shiny and clean. On the outside, they're advertising these beautifully-looking tacos. The smell is just coming into my nostrils and making me salivate and making me more and more hungry. Not, e not only that, but they even tell you that they'll bring chips and salsa to your table while you wait for your food. Needless to say, we were sold, but when we walked in the door, alarms went off, and we went up to the hostess, and we said, uh, table for four, and they said, right this way. Right? Now, I don't know about you, but Friday night, 6.15 p.m. is prime time for people to go out to dinner, and for there to be no wait at Don Pablo's was like, oh, wait, what? We must be guests of honor, right? So we ignore it, and we get to our table, get to the table, and they bring out our 
salsa and chips, and I take one bite and the chips are stale. And so I put them down, and this is where it turns and goes downhill. I put them down, but my daughter is like shoveling chips into her mouth because she thinks they're the greatest anything. Any junk food, she's on top of it, french fries, hamburgers, whatever it is. She loves fried foods, she loves chips, and everything like that. And five minutes later, I'm holding my daughter, and all of the chips come out. And from there, it was just downhill. We got our food. The tacos were cold. The beans weren't salted right. They tasted like they were metallic-y from being in the can too long. And then the rice was hard. And it just, it was downhill. And so you might be asking yourself, Dylan, what on earth does this have to do with scripture? What on earth does this have to do with the Bible? But in our scripture that we're about to look at, just as this Mexican restaurant said it had a purpose of serving me great, awesome Mexican food, which it didn't, unfortunately, Jesus is going to be telling us in this uh, Sermon on the Mount, in this section that we're going to look at, that we as Christians have a specific purpose. We as Christians have specific behaviors that we are to behave as. And if you'll look with me up on the screen, we got Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. And it says this, um, and I like to do this because I think the word of God is just holy, and I think it's great, and I think it's the actual breathed out words of God. Would you guys stand with me, and would you guys read this with me? Because I think this is extremely important. It says this in Matthew chapter 5, if you'll read this with me. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the last verse, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Thank you for that. So here's what we're doing. Just as that Mexican restaurant had a purpose to serve me and my family the Mexican food, Jesus is saying here, Christians, followers of Jesus, you are salt. You are light. And that's what he's doing. And he tells us this. He tells us that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world because we are to be different from the rest of the world. See what I'm saying? And so on our study of, of the Sermon on the Mount, which we've been walking through, Pastor Joe walked us through last week of the Beatitudes. Was anybody here? Raise your hand if you were here. The Beatitudes... Uh, Pastor Joe talked to us about, and he said the Beatitudes are basically Christian character, right? If you are walking through life and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, these Beatitudes, eight Beatitudes, are attitudes and behaviors that God approves of. They're the Christian character. They're the things that, um, that you are to have as you go home and you, you hold in your heart. And so now Jesus is shifting gears in this passage, so he's on the hillside, he's talking to the masses, and he's talking to families. He's not just talking to adults, 
He's talking to little children. He's talking to the older people and everybody in between. And he's saying this to them. You are the salt of the earth and light of the world. And he's telling Christians how we should behave, right? And so the first thing that Jesus says is we are to behave like the salt. Everybody say salt. Salt. So now Jesus he, here, he's not saying something super deep. He's not saying something super theological. He's not reading in to all kinds of Old Testament history. He's simply stating a metaphor. He's simply making an analogy that's saying, if you are a Christian, if you walk this earth, if you come to church, if you take communion, if you believe in me, then you are going to behave as salt does. Now, I did a little bit of research on salt, and in today's modern world, I know the, all the Old Testament uses of it, right, to preserve meat and everything like that, but in today's world, salt has over 14,000 different uses, all right? Salt has over 14,000 different uses. It's natural in the environment. It's colorless. It's odorless. And it's used in almost every single household across the whole entire world. You can't go to any place in the world without finding salt in the home. I remember my mom using it for cooking. I remember taking baths in Epsom salt when we had different stuff. All kinds of different things. But the thing that relates the most to me, the biggest use of salt, is I remember when I used to live in Pittsburgh and we got a lot of snow. We got a lot more snow than we did here, and there's a lot more hills, and some of you probably know this because it still snows here, but I remember waking up as a kid in the morning during the winter and praying to God, dear God, please send me a snow day. Please send me a day off. Please cancel school. And I would watch my hopes and dreams be crushed as the salt trucks came along and they pre-treated the roads with none other than salt, right? And that's what the salt did. It sat there on the road, it sat there on the earth, and it preserved the road's integrity. It, preventing, it prevented the roads from decaying, right? It prevented the roads from being snow-covered. And so slowly what I began to see as even though the rest of the grass around my house was completely covered, I saw the roads and the places where the salt was. I saw that, and I was like, well, I guess I'm not going to have school canceled today because it slowed the process of the snow and the integrity of the roads being covered, right? And so, listen, I don't, I don't, I don't know how else to say this, but if you look at the world around us, or if you look at your... If you look even right here in Gloucester City, we don't have to be rocket scientists to know that the world is deteriorating, right? We don't have to be experts in sociology. We don't have to be experts in, in politics or anything to know that as the world progresses, yes, some things are getting better, but there's other things that are just going downhill like my time at the restaurant, that are just taking a downward spiral. And there's all kinds of statistics that I could throw out of, oh, the world's this, and nowadays people do this. But I, I, I'm sure that all of us have a good idea, even just walking around town throughout the summer, of how the world's deteriorating, right? And so 
here's what I want us to understand, that Jesus is calling us salt because we are to preserve the parts of our society that are decaying. We are to preserve, let me say that again, we are to preserve the parts of other people's lives, of our lives that we know are in a downward spiral. We need to preserve our Christ-likeness. We need to strive to preserve our own faith at times, right? Because I know at times my own faith gets attacked. And I know I need to take measures to be salt to myself, not only salt to other people. And that's what Jesus is trying to say here. He's using salt as a metaphor that we need to be preservatives. We need to be the pretreatments for the world so that when storms come and troubles come, they happen a little less. Amen? And then, like, it, it's like this, though. There's, there's two sides of the sword, you know? There's two sides of the sword because some of us, we, we don't do that, and, and I'm guilty of this, you know? In James chapter 3, verse 11, it says, fresh water and salt water can't come from the same spring. That's pretty ridiculous, right? If there's a spring of water out somewhere in the mountains and you walk up to it, it's, it's either salty or it's fresh, right? And so here's my challenge is, are we being those people who are posting scripture on Facebook and bragging about our beliefs to other people? And then in the same next Facebook post, are we being people who are just being derogatory, right? Are we ruining our own image by acting as salt one way and then acting as fresh water the other way? We are called to be different but not disconnected from the culture because we are the salt of the earth, not the salt of our church, not the salt of inward looking, not the salt of anything else but the salt of the earth. And how can we do that unless we are being salt all of the time? And sometimes... Here's what it requires. Sometimes being salty, salt is not the sweetest of things, right? Sometimes being salty and being the salt of the earth means having hard conversations with some of the people we love. I know, I know for a fact that there is so many people that in my family, I wish I could have tough, hard conversations with them and just squeeze the life out of them to make it all better. And sometimes they need that and sometimes they don't. But I sometimes need to muster up the courage myself to step out of my own uncomfortableness, of my own freshwaterness and say, listen, this is what you need in this point and you need to stop doing this. You need to stop behaving in that way. And it's in that way that we're being a little bit of salt to the earth, right? Sometimes it requires us to not sugarcoat the truth to not sugarcoat the truth about our own lives or the way society is because God is calling us not to be sugar and sweet, but he's calling us to have a little bit of bitterness and be about the world, right? So how can we do that if we are springing of fresh water? And how can we do that if we're disconnected from the earth? We need to be both of those things. Let's not sugarcoat the truth. To my Christians, to everybody in here who comes to church week in and week out, the followers of Jesus, listen, are we bending to the will of the world or are we bending to the will 
of Christ to prevent the world from, from decaying, decaying, sorry, <laughs> decaying so quickly. Then Jesus says this. Is the verse still up? It says this. If you could go to verse 14. Um, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. And listen, everybody knows what light is. It's, again, it's not something super theological that you look at and you're like, okay, Jesus, what does that mean? And you get your protractor out and you try and crunch the numbers. It's not like that. Jesus is using another metaphor. And everybody knows what light is. To give you a little bit of an example, tonight I'm going to go home and it's dark outside. And I'm going to unlock my door and it's going to be pitch black. And I'm going to stumble over some Legos and stumble over some toys because it's what's covering my floor right now. Because my daughter has made a mess and we haven't cleaned the house yet. I'm going to stumble over those things. I'm going to find the light switch. When I find that light switch, I'm going to flip it. And then all of the sudden, all of the darkness is going to what? It's going to disappear. That's what the light is supposed to do. Light is supposed to dispel the darkness. Light is supposed to expose every area of the room in our hearts. Light is supposed to... Uh, it's, it's supposed to illuminate all of the lies that we've built up, right? It's supposed to expose things so that we can see in the best place that the best example I can give you metaphorically of darkness, metaphorically and physically for me, has anybody ever been camping like out in the woods? Now, camping, camping for me, I had never, I had never been out in the woods, woods. Like whenever we went on vacation, we always went to Myrtle Beach. Anybody ever been to Myrtle Beach? It's really nice. We always went to the beach. We never went camping. And whenever I met my wife, I was 19 years old, and I remember her taking me to my in-law's house, which they're right there. Everybody clap it up for them. They're great. So she took me to their house, and, and I was taken back. I wasn't sure if there was animals. I wasn't sure, like, what was going on. I was a kid who had never been out in the wilderness like that. And... Now, here's what happens when we go down and visit them. We went down to visit them in August, and we drive through the night, right, because the kids stay asleep in the back seat. We drive through the night, and we get there at 2, 3 a.m., and we, I, I get Nora out, and I get DJ out, and I grab our bags and stuff, and I take Taylor, and the family goes in, and then my wife whispers in my ear because it's late at night, hey, babe, I forgot the suitcase. And I'm like, oh, no, I got to go out in the pitch black. You know? And so, I don't know about you guys, but darkness is scary, metaphorically and sometimes physically. Places of darkness need to be uncovered by the light. Does anybody know anybody that suffers with any type of depression, anxiety, any type of addiction? Does anybody know anybody that struggles to form relationships outside of their family. That's a hard spot to be. Does anybody have a hard time with family members who put them down all the time? That's a hard spot to be. And listen, here's what I want everybody to know. Is that if there are dark places in your life or other people's lives, we need to expose them with the truth of the gospel. There is some darkness that we just need to pray about, and we just need to allow the Lord to come down into our situations and our circumstances 
and break out of our shell and allow the Lord to illuminate and convict our souls and tell us the truth about how we're living. All of us need to hear the truth so that it illuminates the dark rooms inside of our hearts. All of us need that heart check sometime. But you know what Jesus calls the light even further than that? If you pull up verse 15, Jesus will tell you, actually verse 16, sorry. Uh, he says this, so that they may see your good works. You know what Jesus calls the light? Jesus calls the light our good works. You know why? Because, let me give you an example. I just put a new chandelier in my house about four, four or five months ago. And you know it would be really weird if somebody walked into my house and said, oh, gee, Dylan, those are some really nice light bulbs. That would be weird, right? Nobody goes into my house and is going to look at the chandelier and be like, oh, my gosh, those are some gorgeous light bulbs. They're going to look at the pretty fixture that is illuminating the light bulbs. They're going to look at the source of the light. And so here's what Jesus is trying to say for us and for our own lives. We are to let our good works shine before others, not so that we can be boastful people, not so that we can say, oh, man, look how great of a person I am. Because some people do that, right? Don't get me wrong. But so that we can say, wow, look what Jesus has done in my life. So here's what that looks like. I am serving kids because I know I was a kid that was served, right? I know that I am helping people out of addiction because I have been a person who has been helped through addiction. Jesus has helped me through that. Jesus has helped me through this. And those are my motivations for these good works. So my point is, when people are looking at your good works, and maybe you've experienced this, when people are looking at your life and how you serve and the actions you complete and how you live on a day-to-day basis, people aren't looking at you, per se, your persona, but they're looking at your motivations, why you're doing it. People are going to question your motivations for why you do the things you do. That's what we do as humans. People are going to ask why you care so much. And when that's, that's when we have our opportunity to allow our light to shine. That's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants our light to shine so that... Sorry. Praise God for less. He wants our light to shine so that the source of the light is recognized, not the light bulb. Now, listen, you, you might be sitting in your chair. I'm almost done, I promise. I'm, I'm a shorter preacher. But you might be sitting in your... <laughs> you might be sitting in your chair, and you're like, okay, Dylan, like salt and light. Those are some metaphorical things, right? Those are some ambiguous terms that are still floating around our heads that we still need to bring down to earth, right? So, so here's just some, some practical ways how, how we can be salt of the earth and light of the world in our daily lives. And just a few practical examples. And the first one is be a bringer. Bring somebody to church, plain and simple. Offer them a ride. Ask them why they can't make it. Is Kyle in here? Kyle, I can't tell you how many times I've invited you to church and praise God that you're here today. (laughs) Offer them a ride. Be... Form a friendship with people and bring them to a place where they can hear the gospel preached. Second one, be a sharer. I know everybody has friends in this room. Share your life story with them. 
have a deep conversation with them about the difference that Jesus has made in your life, about the difference that going to church or having faith in the Lord has, how, how it's made a difference in your life. Share your faith with your neighbor, with your friends, with people that you love, with your family members. Be a sharer of that. Third one, be a worker. Be the person who's always cleaning up, preparing for events, the person who's constantly making meals for people who are in need. I know Elaine is in the hospital right now, and they definitely need some meals. I know that whenever my wife gave, gave birth to our second son, and I know when Sarah gave birth to the twins, a bunch of people brought the meals. Be a worker. Serve in different areas. And the last one, I think is extremely important. The last one is be a giver. The church doesn't operate without givers. And, and here's, here's what I like to say all the time from working in, in economically oppressed communities to more affluent communities is that money does not create happiness, but money creates opportunity. Money creates opportunity for growth. It creates opportunity for more programs to be executed. It creates all kinds of opportunities that wouldn't be there without the resource of money. Givers enable every other person on this list to share the gospel. Praise God for givers. But we need people like that. But you know what? We have, and here's what I thought of, and this is, this is where I'm, I'm going to end. But we, we are a church... I, we have prayer every Thursday or Friday at 7 a.m. Joe wakes, wakes my butt up at like 6.30, and it's way too early for me. And I, oftentimes I get to the office and my eyes are half shut until I get a cup of coffee. But here's what we do is we get up into the upper room, into the upper office, and we sit down and we say, okay, how can we pray? for every single person that comes to our church? How can we pray for every single person that we have a relationship with in Gloucester City? And we will sit there for an hour, two hours, however long it takes to pray through a list of everybody who comes and serves and contributes in some way to the church. And as I'm sitting there reflecting on it this week, as I'm doing that and as I'm reflecting on the sermon, what on earth, Lord, am I gonna say? I couldn't help but be overwhelmed with thankfulness that we are a church that is already being salt and light. That we are a church that's already reaching out to, to the community. And I'm sorry, but right now I'm going to call out your name. But Matt comes every single Saturday to Kids Club and gives his time. Matt works the night shifts from 11 p.m. to oftentimes 8 o'clock, comes straight to Saturday. Kids Club and serves, gives his time. He's a worker. He comes here every single Sunday to help set up. He's a worker. There's other people that are shares, like Irish. Irish is the reason why a lot of us are in, are in church tonight, because she called. She cared about us, and she shared her faith and said, I need you to get to church, right? There's other people, like Elaine, who's also sharing, who's got a Bible sitting on right next to her hospital bed. She's sharing her faith. The nurses know it. George knows it. And there's other, so many other people that give to the offering box week in and week out, even though they don't have it. 
even though they're giving sacrificially. There's, there's Deb, and I, and I was so encouraged by this. I go over to pray, just generally, generally pray over a fam family's house, and I get there, and I learn that Deb was just there praying and hanging out with the family. That's amazing to me. That is the church that's being the salt and the light to the community that God has called us to. So, so let, me, let me end with this. Jesus calls us to be different from the rest of the world. I'm going to leave you with two things. Don't lose your saltiness and don't lose your light. Because the salt, whenever it's on the road, after the snowplow comes and the wetness comes and the storm comes through and the snow comes, all the salt, guess what? It gets pushed to the road and it becomes slush. And the salt isn't good for anything. Don't lose your saltiness. And the second thing is don't hide your light. Nobody goes to Walmart, buys a lamp, takes it home, turns it on, and then puts a blanket over it. Nobody does that. <laughs> Two things. <laughs> and here's my challenge is have you, this is a heart check, right? Have we lost our saltiness? What areas of our life are we like the slush on the side of the road after the snowstorm? And what areas of our life are we covering up that are still hidden in darkness? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for every single person here, Lord, that, that, Lord, that everybody has just come here to hear your word, Father. And I pray, God, that you would just uncover the dark areas of our hearts, Lord, so that we can let our good works shine, so that people can see the fixture on which, on, on which we're fixed upon. Lord, I pray that you would allow us as a church and as a people and as followers of you, God, to be people who are salty and not sugar-coated. God, we love you so much. Be with us even now as, as we come to your table to take communion. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.